The games may be off for now, but the rivalries aren't going anywhere. Virginia Tech and UVA, VCU and Richmond, that's good stuff. And what's better, a good pro rivalry or one in college? This week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode eight of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper. David is off this week, so we have with us Times Dispatch Sports Editor Michael Phillips, who also moonlights as our Redskins beat writer here for today's show. Michael, thanks for jumping in. An absolute pleasure to be here, Mike. We uh, we have been enjoying doing the show. David and I have kind of found a rhythm, and I think you and I will uh, pick up right where he and I left off. And uh, you're no secret to, to a little radio podcast action, correct? No, not at all. And uh, this is, you know, I've enjoyed listening to the first few, and uh, I will do my best to uh, to fill Teal's shoes here. Uh, fun fact, you know, a lot of people say, how could you feel fill Teal's shoes? Between us, Mike, we have won Virginia Sports Writer of the Year 13 times, so pretty impressive stat there. You and Teal have a resume that few few can compete with. Uh, I always say this this show boasts uh, Hall of Fame credentials. This show boasts 13 Sports Writer of the Year awards, and uh, this show also boasts the fact that I sat on the bench for the 1995 state championship at my high school. So uh, we have quite the litany of accomplishments here. Did you get so a ring? I do. I do have a ring. It is somewhere on this mess of a desk I have. Uh, it's got my name. It has my jersey number. Thankfully, it does not have my statistics because there would not have been any statistics to put on the side of a ring. But I was there and, and on the field and on the sideline, uh, and I was in the parade when we won the state title. So yes, that was sir. Those were my major contributions, and and that, those were appropriate based on my athletic ability. I think uh, had they asked more for me, we would not have won a state title. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a middle school baseball team that went 0-32 one year. See, now that is a memory that I feel like now you probably cherish. At the time, it might have been brutal. But at the time, you know, rough now, do you look back and kind of enjoy that story? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, just think about how hard that is in baseball. Like baseball <laughs> is the one sport where really everybody should get a few wins. You you would think so. I guess at that age, if you don't have pitching, you know, they always talk about pitching winning championships at that age. Pitching just wins games. And I'm guessing you guys didn't have any. We had no pitching. Yeah, that, that'll do it. That must have been a fun team to coach. <laughs> So uh, before we get into to the rivalry stuff, and today's episode is going to focus a lot on those rivalries. Uh, we ran a series in the Richmond Times-Dispatch looking at some of the best rivalries around the Commonwealth, but we actually have some, some actual news to get into before we launch into that. Both UVA and Virginia Tech have added transfers to their basketball programs. Let's start with the Hokies because their pickup is eligible to play this season, and that's Carter Diara from Kansas State, uh, scoring point guard. He's a grad transfer. He can play right away. And, uh, you know, Tech returns with Bisabidi, who, who played the point for them. But Carter Diara could be a, a game changer for them, couldn't he? You know, I, I think this Tech was so good at the start of the year. And obviously, there was a little bit of that, like, new coach bump going on. I, I think that's a team you would bet on to make a stride forward in ACC play next year, you know? core coming together second year of the coach he's he's got a little bit more of a vibe of what the ACC is all about I like the addition I I don't know that that's a team where I would say 
Not that they're going to win the ACC, not that they're going to make the NCAA tournament, um, but but they're not going to play on Tuesday again. Yeah, that's a great point. They, they were probably poised to make a significant jump without this addition. Um, and then, you know, they, they lose Landers Nolly in the, in the transfer uh, deal. He left and, and you think, OK, if they're going to make that jump, well, they're going to be hurting a little bit for scoring. Here comes Carter Diarra. He averaged 13.3 points, 4.2 rebounds, 3.8 assists a year ago. So uh, he's going to be able to provide some of that scoring punch that that maybe they're losing with Nolly. And it's going to be interesting to see. You know, they they get Carter because he actually uh, is sort of reuniting. <clears throat> One of Virginia Tech's assistants, Chester Frazier, was an assistant previously at, at Kansas State for him. So I think this is a good fit, and, and I think this is maybe – the kind of thing that, that Mike Young will need to, um, you know, to build this going forward, I, I think, uh, especially after losing Nolly. Yeah, your assistant coaches are everything, especially for a new coach. You're leaning on those guys and their connections and everything. They've got so much thrown at you as a first-year coach. If you can have an assistant who can pull in a great transfer for you like that, that's worth as much as anything else you can do. Uh, speaking of, of great transfers, and, and this one won't be eligible to play this season, but UVA picked up uh, their own transfer, Rice Wing Trey Murphy the third. This is another score, a scoring wing. He's going to have to sit out one year, but he's going to have two years to play. Uh, you know, you think about Virginia and transfers, and yeah, things didn't work out a few years back with Austin Nichol, but uh, you know they've been able to find some guys who really contribute. You think about Braxton Key, uh, and then you think about this coming year, Sam Hauser. Now picking up Trey Murphy, he'll sit this year, but those are high-level transfers that UVA is getting involved with. Both Hauser and Murphy, I, I think you say those transfers don't happen if UVA doesn't cut down the nets at the Final Four in Minneapolis. You know, they, the, the, it, That's a reputation-style thing. Guys want to play for Tony Bennett now. Guys want to be a part of this success, and, and you're seeing it really pay off in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Hauser obviously had the connection being a Wisconsin kid in the Bennett family, but Murphy, and, and I think for a lot of players right now, you know, suddenly UVA ranks among those dream schools if you're a big-time basketball player. Think, Michael, about all the guys they've they've put into the NBA, Justin Anderson, uh, Joey Harris, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, that adds a lot to guys who are going to play one or two years somewhere. Um UVA is a very appealing destination now. Oh, no question. Yeah, you, you, you're gonna you're gonna have a chance to contend every year. They're, they're not gonna ride that roller coaster of good and bad cycles. You know, it, this was this was a down year for UVA, which is just funny to think about when you think about where they came from, and to think that this could be chalked up as a down year for anybody with everything they accomplished and what they were going to accomplish going into the tournament. Yeah, down year. They might have been headed to another Sweet 16. Those are nice down years to have. Yeah. Um, another news item from the week, the Commonwealth Cup, which kind of tabulates the score of the Virginia Tech, Virginia sports series. You get points for uh, your success in all sports. They decided that there will be no winner this year. They canceled it, basically saying, hey, it's it's not fair to, to have a winner when you haven't had the spring athletes given a chance to have an impact on the standings. I believe Virginia was leading by a point, so it was very close uh, going into the spring. I don't know how, how big a deal that is versus, you know, the individual games, the individual teams, but it does kind of bring us into that series I was talking about that we ran, looking at some of the best sporting rivalries around the Commonwealth. And, 
And Michael, put on for a second your, your sports editor hat. Tell me, wh- where did this idea come from? And, and what do you think readers got out of the series that, that we've done here? Yes, yeah, so when we were brainstorming on what to do during this, uh, this little period of no sports, this was actually Chris Wilbur's idea. He's one of our designers. He makes the front pages every day. You should follow him on Twitter if you don't. It's always fun to see what the actual print newspaper looks like every day. He usually posts that on Twitter uh, late at night or in the morning. And uh, yeah, I, I, I knew it was an instant winner. I'm, you know, th- this, is, this is the part of management that, uh, you know, I, that, I think people don't appreciate the genius here of you just hear a good idea and tell everybody, let's go, let's do it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I, nothing I could have added to it. it. It was a fantastic idea. Fun to read about the stuff I knew, obviously. Um, you know, I, I've been to the Commonwealth Cup. I know about that. I've been to URVCU basketball, but also to learn about Hampton, Sydney, Randolph, Macon in the game, or some of these high school rivalries within neighborhoods. Uh, just some really fun stuff. Yeah, we'll get into a little more of some of those other rivalries when Greg Burton joins us here later in the show. For now, let's talk about one that you and I both know because you covered Virginia at one point for the Times Dispatch. I cover Tech and UVA right now, and that football rivalry, whoo boy, that uh, that was an interesting uh, run here for 15 years for Virginia Tech. Michael, it's kind of staggering to think in a rivalry, in a game that means so much to both sides, with programs that are you know, f- supported and, and backed up in the way that they are, that one team could win that many in a row, isn't it? No, and that's what made it so special. You know, people, it reminds me of people who say, like, oh, you know, UConn wins women's basketball every year, and that's bad for women's basketball. Oh, heck no, it's not. That's Dynasties are great for business because they win every year you know who can you name the last two women's basketball national champions neither of them has been UConn you know it's either UConn or a different team and and I I think that because it was the 15th straight that gave this rivalry that juice during a period of time where if Tech had dominated the series 13 to 2 it may have just been a Saturday noon game on regional net, regional sports networks, but because of the streak, because it was every single year, you had to show up every year and find out, will this be the year? That gave it a, a lot of extra juice. Yeah, I think you're right, because the thing that makes the rivalry at its best, like this year, is when there's something on the line, right? Like this year, the ACC Coastal Division, the title was on the line, and people were going to be jacked about that game, uh, even if it wasn't a rivalry because of what was at stake. But you make a great point that there was a string of years where, to put it bluntly, from a national perspective, Nothing was on the line. The game didn't mean anything nationally. The game didn't mean anything conference-wise. So the fact that it was the Commonwealth rivalry, but the fact that it had this sort of compelling oddity to it, that because, hey, let's look at some of these games. These were not all blowouts, Michael. There were a lot of games that you can argue UVA could have won. There are a couple games you can argue, uh, including the year before they ended the streak, that UVA probably should have won. This was a competitive series until you got to the one loss record. Oh goodness, there were there were some competitive players on both sides too. Chris Long never won this game. Anthony Harris never won this game. There's guys in the NFL making a good living right now who never won this football game. Yeah, and part of the series we ran, you know, some memorable games and we went back to, you know, uh, George Welsh's first game in 82, Frank Beamer's first game in 87 in the series. But um, I thought it was interesting going through some of the, the bad years, if you will. Look at 2015. Uh, Virginia Tech, they go into that. That's 
Frank Beamer's final game in the series. It's in Charlottesville. They need to win that game to get Beamer to a, a bowl one last time to continue that bowl streak. They win that game on a 41-yard field goal with a minute 38 to play. That was kicked by Joey Sly, who's, who's now of the Carolina Panthers. These games were thrillers, and yeah, maybe nationally they didn't move the needle, but man, they, they were fun. Weren't they fun to cover and be a part of when you're in you the can't talk about field goals and timeouts without mentioning the game that may have eventually led to Mike London getting run out of town. <laughs> I, th- I think when he you know, didn't use those timeouts to preserve the clock and get the ball back way back when, I think that set a reputation in motion that he was never quite able to shed. Yeah, they ended up bringing in Tom O'Brien essentially to call timeouts for Mike. Uh, it's a, never a good sign when that's how the administration is viewing <laughs> was, you. And was 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 fifteen? Was that the Russell Athletic Bowl against Rutgers? Yeah, was that was the uh, the joy of no Frank's last bowl game actually was uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, in an Independence Bowl. Uh, and what was amazing, or what I will always remember about that bowl game, uh, not just being Frank's last. But Andy Bitter and I, who, who Andy used to work for the Roanoke Times, Andy Bitter and I had our flight canceled uh, the morning after the game when we're trying to get home. They said there was uh, too bad weather. The flight was canceled. We wanted to get home. And Andy drove us through a, a torrential downpour all the way to Dallas, Texas, so we could catch a flight home. And when we got to Dallas, Texas, and we checked in for our flight, they told us that the flight had been delayed. And when we asked the reason, they said the plane was stuck. It couldn't get here. The plane was stuck back in Shreveport, where we had just left. And it kind of reminded me, uh, one, how unlucky I am in travel, but also just how ridiculous sometimes uh, airplane travel can be. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andy, We're feeling nostalgic for that, though, today. Oh, man. Yeah. What I wouldn't give to be stuck in an airport on the way to a, a game. Where are we here in April? I guess I'd be on my way to some college baseball. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we certainly we certainly do. uh we certainly do miss it. We certainly do hope we get back to it soon. And one of the reasons is rivalries and, and, and games like that. And, uh, you know, Michael, you mentioned that the Mike London game, you mentioned some of the great players, anything else stick out and, and maybe it doesn't have to be football. Anything else stick out to you for tech UVA and, and, and that rivalry? Yeah. Well, you know, the first one I covered was Chris Long's senior day where they actually retired his number on the field before the game, right? You know, not retired the number, whatever they do where they, uh, what's the terminology there? Retire the jersey? They retire the jersey because somebody could conceivably wear the number again. They do wear the number again. Yeah, they, they retired the jersey before the game. Like, that's how good he was and how much of an impact he was. That was another one, winner take all for the for the division. Uh, and, and just seeing their hearts ripped out from them. Man, I, I covered so many of those. I, I told you I kept showing up because I had to see it when UVA won eventually. And then even this last year where – they're up by two touchdowns with a minute left and everybody goes down to the field and is getting ready to storm. And then tech actually scored one and like had it like the window cracked open for a second and everybody just, just allows themselves to think like, Holy cow. What if this actually happens? Yeah, it's definitely a rivalry and, and maybe it's because of the streak, but it's definitely a rivalry where if you're a, uh, impartial observer you're expecting the sky to fall on uva a little bit right because you think about two years back and they appeared to have the game one bryce perkins their best player um you know he's got the ball near the goal line uh they're in position to win that game and he fumbles they go to overtime and, and, they, and they lose it in the in the overtime it just had that feeling for so many years like man no matter what uva does something funky is going to happen and i think that's what made 
you know, uh, the win this past year, 2019, Virginia wins 39-30. Perkins has a huge game after that nightmare fumble a year earlier. Perkins has a huge game. It's a week after he was hospitalized with tonsillitis, which only adds to the, the story. Um, the defense was great in that one. Uh, I think six sacks. They end the game with a strip sack uh, by uh, strip sack by Mandy Alonzo and Eli Handback, Richmond guy, eight hundred four kid. He lands on the ball for the game ceiling touchdown. But there was just something about the rivalry that it just it always seemed like something might go wrong if you're UVA. And something always did go wrong for UVA. It was wild, yeah. But mentioning handback, too, I, I feel like the rivalry has lost a little juice in recent years as the best in-state kids have gone out of state. I think that's a real problem for Virginia right now is not keeping in-state talent within the borders. There's enough talent coming out of Virginia high schools to field really good football teams, New Year's Day Bowl football teams. Uh, but neither of these coaches really seem intent on mining that right now. And a lot of the good kids are going elsewhere. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. You know, Bronco Mendenhall certainly has had success as a national recruiter. Um, when he was at BYU, that was the model. And he's kind of stuck with that model. Um, you know, he's trying to have more success here in state. I think the winning will help him. And then on the flip side, you have Virginia Tech that that really built its reputation on some in-state players, in-state recruits, and um, certainly Michael Vick among them. And, and now you look at this Texas to VT movement, and um, there's a sense that maybe Virginia Tech's getting its best players from North Carolina and and beyond, and you know Texas and California. It's it's an interesting shift. I don't know how sustainable it is. Uh, I guess I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I heard Fuentes' Texas comment, and just you know, in in. That's not what great teams do. That's what good teams do to stay afloat. You can go down to Texas and you can get the third best kid at a high school and he'll be really good and he'll come in and you know he'll be ready to play football. But but you're never going to elevate your program to greatness. That's what that, that's how you sustain bowl streaks, but that's not how you get back to, to conference title games and big games. Yeah, and that's what I think people, fans on both sides of this rivalry want to see, and, and, and we've touched on it, but it, we want to see games where they're playing in that last weekend of the regular season for the ACC Coastal Division title. Uh, and to do that, I, I think you're right. I think I think your team's got to be built from within the state and then out. You know, you can go out and find the missing pieces in Texas and Florida and California. I mean, that's what a lot of good programs do. Um, but I don't know that you can build your core because I don't I don't know how sustainable that is. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and Perkins being a notable exception, when a kid's that good and you realize it and you get it on it, that's how special things happen. I, he was so fun to watch for those two years. It reminded me of the first year of RG3 in Washington where you just see plays where you say, wow, there are not many people in the world that can do that. No doubt. Before we before we move on, I do want to hit on one basketball game because I think uh, certainly Paul Woody, our retired columnist, would remember this, and it's one I'll remember forever. It was in February of 2017, and you know Virginia's basketball program was rolling. Virginia Tech was kind of rebuilding with Buzz Williams, kind of getting going. They played this really close game in Blacksburg, and Michael, I don't know if you'll remember this, but London Parentis had a drive to the basket to win the game. And the ball got stuck on, and we did not yes. know the term at the time, the ball got stuck on that little piece of metal that connects the cylinder to the backboard. We found out later it's it's called a flange. The ball got stuck on the flange, and Tech goes on to, to win the game, and I think it was in overtime. That's one that, when you talk about rivalries, sometimes those little weird things are what elevate the rivalry. 
Oh, heck yes. Yeah, those, that's the that's where the best stuff comes from. And, uh, you know, you certainly go around the region. VCU and Richmond going to double overtime a few years ago. Those very memorable games that stick with you for a while. What One good game can propel a rivalry, you know, for, for a long time. And your Duke-UNC games, those memorable ones make up for the 40-point games. And those are the ones that stick with you. No doubt. And that brings us, as we talk about rivalries, we talk about Tech and UVA. That brings us to our, our first question of the day, our who you got. Thanks, Mike. It's who you got. Virginia snapped a 15-game losing streak to Virginia Tech this past football season. Now, which is more enjoyable, winning 15 in a row if you're a Tech fan or snapping the losing streak after that long of a wait if you're a UVA fan? Michael. Cumulatively, I'd rather be the 15, but if you're talking about one game, you know, that one game was probably more joyous than any of the 15 on the Tech side, especially at the end is the pressure mounted and you really felt it every year, but you'd still be, you'd still be the whipper than the whipping boy. Yeah. I think that you want to be the team that won 15 in a row, because even when you lose, it's still that there's still that bragging rights of, Hey, we got 15, you got one and you get to come back in a rivalry like this, come back and do it the next year. So yeah, I I think uh, give me the 15 and 15 wins and the one painful loss. I'd take that over 15 years. I mean, 15 years of suffering. I just, that just doesn't sound good. I I was a a student at Kansas when they snapped their streak to Nebraska, 36 years. Mm, Brutal, brutal. And again, when it's a rivalry, it just hurts that much more. You see those people in stores and restaurants around town. It's just, it's no fun. It's no fun to be uh, on the back end of that. So I I think we're kind of in agreement there. Michael, among your myriad duties in the sports department, in addition to being the boss, you cover the Washington Redskins. Uh, and while you could argue maybe the entire NFC East is one big rivalry, there, there's something special about Washington and Dallas. It's the NFL's own Cowboys and Indians kind of story. What is that rivalry like? Yeah, that, that's a fun one because the the history speaks for itself, and, and uh, that's that's a very popular Thanksgiving Day game. I wrote in the article, you know, even a couple of years ago when, when they were playing on Thanksgiving, even when it wasn't a marquee matchup, you know, a couple teams that were kind of limping into it, it was the most watched game of the NFL regular season, any game, any time slot. Now, a lot of that is, you know, the Cowboys and Thanksgiving, but that's not always the case. That particular game is not, but, you know, that rivalry, I think, speaks to uh, a generation older than us. Uh, we certainly haven't grown up with uh, with that being a, a relevant rivalry the way it was in the 90s and you know when when the NFL playoff format uh you know uh, kind of allowed them to play for playoff bursts every time they met and uh you know certainly so many the, the cast of characters on both sides is a lot of what's made it so great there've been so many trash talkers even your your Leon Letts of the world you know just so many names you get exposed to through it um that that you wouldn't have maybe you wouldn't be stars at without that exposure and without those rivalry games. Letwood, of course, from, from a Super Bowl fumble, but, uh, you know, it's it's a star-making game. Yeah, I, I always remember Leon Lett. I, th- I think it was a Thanksgiving game against the Dolphins in the snow um, when yes. he had another one of his gaffes. And as a Dolphins fan, we don't get too many highlights. We certainly don't get too many highlights in the snow. So that's one I'll always remember. It, you know, pro rivalries, and I, I've mentioned that, you know, I grew up a big Yankee fan, so Yankee Red Sox, huge for me. How do you think pro rivalries compare to college rivalries? Because they're, they're kind of different animals, aren't they? They're very different animals, and they come and go quicker. You think about in the NFL, Ravens-Steelers, big rivalry. 
that's only existed for like a couple decades tops. You know, there's, there's no history there. Just kind of both teams ended up in the same division. Both teams were really good. And then they turned out they hated each other. Uh, Colts against the Patriots, Manning against Brady was a rivalry that sprouted up. It was a great rivalry, a must-see game for a little while, and now is not. Like Colts Patriots is not an interesting game next year if, if Tom Brady, you know, go, Tom Brady's gone, Andrew Luck's gone, Peyton Manning's gone. Um, so, so it's kind of more of a, an ebb and flow. I think that's what's special about Redskins Cowboys is it's lasted so long. Um, but, but you look at those pro rivalries, and a lot of times, um, you know, in, in the hockey world, the Penguins and the Capitals. Uh, you know, another rivalry that you would say has developed because of Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. I understand those teams didn't like each other before, but that's what's lifted it. That's what's made it a great rivalry. Certainly in the NBA, uh, you know, you've got similar with, with great players going here and there all the time. It looks like Lakers Clippers is about to have a moment. Um, but no, nobody's circling Celtics Lakers on their calendar anymore like they used to. So it's a, it's a very fluid situation. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, in college, yes, you have different players coming and going, but the rivalry is based on the teams. It's based on the schools. And in the pros, I mean, I think about the Bulls and the Pistons. I mean, the Bulls and the Pistons, that was Jordan against Isaiah. That, that's what Top made that, oh, yeah, that's what made that a rivalry. Yeah. And it got nasty because, yeah, the teammates were all involved when you think about Lambeer and Rodman and Pippen. I mean, it got to be that. But from a fan standpoint, when there was no more Jordan and there was no more Isaiah – and and it wasn't there wasn't that same feeling for those games and you know I think I do think geography plays into it I'm I'm a hockey fan and you know Ranger, Rangers Islanders it means a little more but I don't think it compares to Duke Carolina I don't think it compares even to UVA Tech in terms of year in year out you're right there's just there's something about college and that is what's unique about Washington and Dallas it almost has that college feel to it no doubt yeah it's 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 really and I would say Red Sox Yankees is probably the premier pro rivals rivalry in the United States you know that that's one that's withstood a lot but both teams have been really good for a long time too so it's hard to say what would happen if they were both also Rams yeah I hope I hope we don't find out I wouldn't mind Boston hanging in there (laughs) but let's keep the Yankees uh competing I really enjoy that and hey I'm curious because when you talk about the Washington Redskins and you talk about the Dallas Cowboys uh to put it bluntly two of the more maybe dysfunctional owners in the NFL. What, what do what are those personalities? What, what do Dan Snyder and, and Jerry Jones add, if they do, if they add anything, what do they bring to the rivalry? Well, Redskins versus competency has been a rivalry for a few years now. That, that's, <laughs> that's a hot one. Uh, Jerry Jones is just flat out crazy, man. He's, he's a showman. I, I, I think he's cut from that Vince McMahon wrestling promoter cloth, you know, I, which – you don't have a lot of that in pro sports ownership. A lot of these guys are a little more buttoned down. So I, so I love what Jerry Jones brings to anything. You know, a guy who's willing to talk some smack, get in there, walk around, you know, strut his stuff. Uh, the, the, the stadium is, is an absolute must visit. Uh, if, you, if you've never been, it's, it, it's a monument to Jerry. Uh, and and it, is, uh, it is really something. So, yeah, no, I, I think the owners are, are uh, you know, a big part of that, contributors to that. Same way in a college rivalry, I think Coach K and Roy have, have made the Duke-UNC rivalry special by, by just being there, being there for the whole thing and being there for the history of it and, and kind of that, that mutual respect and admiration and grudge of, of going against that guy two times a year, three times a year, every single year. Yeah, I, I love the uh, Jerry Jones Vince McMahon comparison, and it reminds me we should we should pour one out for the XFL yet again, uh, ceasing their operations in the wake of the, the spread of the virus and, and all the impact that that has had. I think this was the DC Defenders year, Mike. 
<laughs> it was a year to win the title. Uh, it'll be an opportunity they never get back. Team of destiny. Michael, we, we focus on this podcast on tech and UVA, but that's far from the only great rivalry in, in the Commonwealth. So joining us now to talk about some of the other fierce and, and kind of bitter battles around Virginia is former ESPN Richmond radio personality, Greg Burton. Greg hosted Hardly Working for 16 years, Greg. Is that right? Yes. 16 years before uh, the station let him and a number of local personalities go here in, in these economic times. And Greg's been a, a huge part of the Richmond media scene. And I got to tell you, Greg, appearing on your show has always been one of my favorite appearances to do. So let me start by saying uh, how much I'm going to miss listening to you and joining you. And, and thank you big time for joining us today. No, I, this is just, like, I'd have to do about 50 more of these to pay both Mike Barber and Mike Phillips back for being on our show. So thank you guys. Michael, I assume you enjoyed your time with Greg as well. Probably a way to put words in my mouth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was terrible. <laughs> him, him and Matt Joseph, that's, that's one of the longest running pairings, man. They, all, they always put on an entertaining hour. I actually got to guest host for Greg uh, once way back in the day. So that was that was its own thrill as well. I, I was ever never highly regarded enough to sit in Greg's chair, but uh, I had to settle <laughs> for being a guest. And that was a lot of fun. Can't afford you. <laughs> I, oh, believe, I also believe you can. Greg is one of the last people I've seen in person. We were both in Brooklyn at that uh, VCU game that uh, got scrubbed after the dunk line. Wow, bizarre! So, like that was that was about as eerie a feeling as I've ever had at a sporting event. Yeah, no kidding. It, it was a wild, wild day. Then, so Wayne Epps and I had just driven the six hours to New York, and then uh, we did that for half an hour. Turned around, drove the six hours back. So that was a fun day. Same, yeah. Greg, that's got to be that's got to be the most bizarre thing you've experienced in your it's it's a it's a lengthy career you've had, but that's got to be the most bizarre thing you've experienced. Yeah, I'd say the only like only from a pure personal community health and safety issue. Like I've never been in that situation before, and it was really scary. The only other bizarre thing was I know you guys have had stories about when Virginia and Michigan State played down at the Coliseum mm. many many years ago. The famous Bambi on Ice game, as Pete Gillen called it, because they left the ice on and they just put the floor on top of it. And um, the condensation kind of got on the floor and they had to cancel the game. And that was a bizarre night. We had no idea that for obviously much different and lighter reasons. But <laughs> we started talking about like the crazy games that we've been to that were interrupted. And that was at the top of the list. But I think what happened uh, a month ago it now tops all that. Yeah, you got to be in a position there where you think this will never be topped. And and we've learned, I think we've all learned, never to say this will never be topped. And uh, Greg, I also wanted to hit real quick. You're on faculty at VCU. Uh, if you don't mind, to tell the listeners a little bit about what you do there. Sure. Uh, the VCU Center for Sport Leadership is a graduate school program uh, for people that want to work in the sport industry. We teach the business of sport. Um, it's been around for 20 years. It's ranked top 10 in the world. And we have uh, alumni that work in all areas of the sport industry. Our sweet spot's college athletics, but we have people that work uh, in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. Uh, I know you guys have done some stories on uh, Charlie Howe, who's the championship director of the U.S. Open, works for the USGA. He's a Mechanicsville native, and he graduated from our program. So, I'm the director of communications and engagement, do a lot of alumni relations, and and yes, teach a sports media class. And it's really 
Uh, I love it. Best team I've ever worked on. And uh, it's an amazing program down there at VCU. That sounds great. Now, the reason we brought you on this week is we've run a series uh, in the Richmond Times Dispatch on rivalries, the the best rivalries around the Commonwealth. And uh, just from your standpoint as a media guy, what what are the ingredients? Like, what's the recipe? What makes a rivalry a really great rivalry? Uh, I love this series, what you guys have done. I know that uh, folks have had to be creative in this time, and I love this angle that you guys take. I'm sure other folks around the country are going to start stealing this. Um, I think there's got to be probably two main elements which you guys have sort of addressed. One is a high level of achievement between both of the parties, both of the schools, both of the teams, that they've had a lot of success Maybe not always parallel, but for the most part, they're high-level programs in terms of the competition that they faced. And then I think the second ingredient is respect. I think that while rivalries are often described as being sort of bitter or acrimonious, I think ultimately the best rivalries, there's a high level of respect between the two programs because they know they kind of couldn't exist without the other, at least a lot of their success and value is tied to the other. Now, you've been in, in Richmond. Take me back. Was it 98 that you came in as yeah. a TV? So, yeah. So tell me your viewpoint on Richmond VCU basketball. I, I read Wayne Epps' story at richmond.com talking about you know, he led with that first meeting in 1976. They had a fight. So that's that's some solid <laughs> – setting the tone right there. Uh, none of us were, were around for that game in 76, but what have, has been kind of your uh, front row perceptions of, of that rivalry? I think it's uh, it's really evolved. So I was well aware of uh, the University of Richmond when I moved here for two reasons. One, I knew what they had done on the basketball court with Dick Tarrant and knew that they were sort of like the original giant killers um, from beating you know Syracuse and, and Indiana and South Carolina in the NCAA tournament. But I was also pretty familiar with Richmond in FCS football because I went to the University of Delaware and Delaware played Richmond, even going back all the way to the Yankee Conference. And so I was really well aware of Richmond. I really knew nothing about VCU, like zilch. And so when I got here, I think that I kind of felt like, well, Richmond is sort of, University of Richmond is sort of the Richmond team. Um, Boy, how quickly did that change in the last, you know, 20 years? Uh, they still have obviously a very, very loyal fan base, but obviously with the success of VCU, I got here the same uh, year or maybe the year before they opened the Siegel Center. Uh, and then obviously from that point on, they slowly built into a really solid program. Uh, obviously those Anthony Grant years, you know, the dagger game with with Duke was was fantastic. And so they finally started to match Richmond's success sort of on the court. And I think that really elevated the rivalry Obviously, Richmond left the CIA, went to the A-10, so then it become, became just a once-a-year type of thing. Um, we used to have a thing. It was sponsored by a, a local insurance company called the Black and Blue Classic. When they went to different conferences, they only met once a year, and it was a really big event, and we had a lot of fun sort of covering that one game. But I think the rivalry got better when VCU went back, went to the A-10, and they became conference rivals again. I- I thought, to, to me, you talk about VCU rivalries, and no disrespect to Richmond, but I just think the absolute best was were those games against ODU, you know, at the Richmond Coliseum in the playoffs and I, and I in the CAA tournament. And I just think Blaine Taylor, to me, was always the reason for that. VCU had this, this rotating door of coaches who were always well-dressed, very professional. And Blaine Taylor, with that mustache and, and his disdain for the Coliseum, he, he was like the perfect cartoon villain. 
I would agree. So, like, if you're asking me who is VCU's biggest rival, like, boy, this is, like, one of those go-to topics. I mean, you can't ignore a score that's seven miles away. That's obvious. But I would agree with you, Michael, that um, maybe because the schools are so similar and sort of demographic and their alumni base, so many ODU alums live here, so many VCU alums live down in the 757, there's no question those games got intense. And, again, it all traces back to be in CAA conference opponents, you know, back in the day. But there's no question. I think you could even make a case for a while that, you know, George Mason became a pretty decent uh, rival for VCU because they met in the CAA tournament final so many times. No doubt. Having a little balance, Matt, I mean, we, we cover so much of Virginia, Virginia Tech, and that's a great rivalry, but 15 years in a row for one side before Virginia changed it. How important is it that there's a little uh, back and forth, a little give and take, and it's not so lopsided? Oh, I think that's super important. Um, I think the fan base is well aware of how many they've either won or lost in a row to their opponent. Um, they have those stats at hand, mostly because whoever has the upper hand is always sort of running down their buddies and using it as trash talks. So I think both within the athletic departments and within their fan bases, they're well aware of maybe who's had like the best run as of late. But yeah, it got, I mean, the whole Virginia, Virginia Tech thing just got, um, I, I never thought it would, that drought would have gone on as long as it did. I'm glad it ended. I hope it kind of swings back the other way just to balance it out. But I think it needs to have success on both sides for it to not uh, get, um, you know, for it, for it to have some of that level of intensity and excitement. Before yeah. we slide into that, I do think it's funny with, with you are not funny. I, I feel bad for them. There are two great basketball seasons in recent memory. One of you, know, they go to the Sweet 16. What an amazing accomplishment for a mid-major school. And the school seven miles down the road goes to the Final Four the exact same year to completely overshadow it. And then they, they have this great run. And I, I think they were running their way into the tournament when we were there in Brooklyn and coronavirus. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly, you know, but you could always go to Chris Mooney for like the great perspective. Like he understands sort of like, look, it was sort of just weird timing. Not to mention that they were both in the same region back in 2011 in San Antonio. Mm. And we watched Richmond kind of get beat up pretty bad by Kansas and then thought of, all right, well, our stay is going to end until, you know, VCU continued their run. But I love what Chris Mooney has done in, in, in despite of all this and, Hopefully he has a great team coming back next year and can uh, can duplicate the success. Kansas grad here, and, and that's obviously one of the more devastating games to a Kansas grad because not only losing to VCU, but the, the path to a national title was just paved in gold. They were going all the way if they won that VCU game, Bill Self, the Elite Eight, et cetera. But I don't mind that the Morris Twins got their comeuppance a little bit. <laughs> They're not exactly likable. Where, no. like, where did you watch that game? I watched that game in, in Richmond um, and uh, just just at home. I didn't want to, you know, I knew any if I went out anywhere, it would be VCU fans, and I, and I did not want any part of that. <laughs> that has certainly been one of the better ones that we've had a chance to cover. I'm, I'm curious, Greg, does anything else stand out from around the Commonwealth? You mentioned going to Delaware, and, and when I covered JMU, JMU Delaware was pretty good, but uh, JMU Richmond football certainly has been a rivalry. Richmond, William and Mary, anything else stand out to you? I think that's funny that you say that too. Cause like, I think the 
in the football side, like, of course, we know that Richmond, William & Mary is one of the oldest rivalries, longest played in college football. But if you ask Spider fans, they really get amped up for JMU. And that's because JMU has been the gold standard, really, or one of the gold standards uh, in FCS football. And so you want to be the best. And then you want to play the best if you're not the best. And so I don't think there's a question that, like, Richmond looks Yes, the tradition side to William & Mary, but from the competitive, who's the best in our area, they look to JMU in football. Can I just say, I, when I got here, I, I really talked to, you know, some of the old timers, you know, my buddies, you know, Gary Hess and, and, and Bob Black and Ben Hamlin to figure out, like, what was important to sports fans in Richmond. And I quickly learned about Randolph-Macon in Hampton-Sydney. And I was so glad. I knew you guys would include that. But to me, like, that's a rivalry maybe in its purest form because it's D3, because you don't have some of the flash and resources that you have at big time programs. And I've had so much fun going to both Farmville and Ashland to watch both those football and basketball games over the years. And that's a rivalry that that extend. I talked to a lot of guys from my Tech UVA story who said once you graduate, it kind of dies down, and and you you, you realize that everybody's kind of the same. You just wear different colors. But I feel like that Randolph Macon Hampton Sydney. That's a rivalry these guys kind of take to the grave, don't they? Oh yeah, and and because Hampton Sydney has struggled in basketball. Um, it's been very, very lopsided. And obviously, I mean, I think we can all think Randolph-Macon had a team this year capable of winning the whole thing. So there's yeah. another program. I mean, that that was disappointing. Josh Merkel did an unbelievable job. But I'm hoping that Hampton Sydney can get it back on track because it'll make that rivalry better because uh, Randolph-Macon has obviously dominated the last few years. So you mentioned JMU. That's the only school, the, the only big school where I can't figure it out. Like sometimes there's the argument, who's the rival? Is it William & Mary? Is it JMU for, for Richmond football? Who's JMU's rival? I don't know if they have one. In football, I do think it's Richmond um, because I know they compete for so many uh, players uh, head-to-head. Um, and so I think in-state, it's it's uh, it's the University of Richmond. But honestly, if you ask them now, they probably would say North Dakota State, right? <laughs> like if, what, if, you, if you realigned everybody, them and ODU could be just a heck of a rivalry. You know, I, I think they're probably both about the same caliber of team, even though one's D1 and 1A and one's 1AA. But, yeah, you know, they, of course, want it to be Virginia Tech, which it isn't. But, yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough one. Yeah, I think like there's geographic rivalries, right? Like in state, and then there's conference rivals. Like I know as a Delaware fan, they get up for JMU. We've had some great battles with William and Mary over the years too, um, but they really do get up because again, sort of like the uh, demographic of the student base and alumni base at Delaware is very, very similar to like JMU or ODU, and so. Um, but JMU. Yeah, they don't. It's it's funny. I don't know if they uh, have like that clearly defined rival. You'd probably get different answers from different alums. Greg, uh, I appreciate you being kind enough to join us. And since you did, and since we're talking about rivalries, we thought we'd include you in one of our weekly segments here. It's called Take It or Leave It. Ooh, like it. Thanks, Mike. All this talk about rivalries. As a fan, now put on your fan hat. As a fan. Would you rather have your team beat its rival 10 years in a row rather than win a championship? Take it or leave it. Greg. I'd rather have, I I would leave it. I want a championship. A championship's forever. I love rivalries. I want championships. I want rings. I want banners. I, I don't even think this is a hypothetical. Go ask any Virginia Tech football fan. Would you give up the 15 in a row to UVA to win that Florida State game back in the day? They 
all would say yes, 100% of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess the team that I, I live and die with is is the Yankees. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's tough for me. I, I think I'd rather see the Yankees win a World Series and struggle against the Red Sox. I don't think it translates as well in baseball. Um, but I think a championship is just – it's so hard to achieve – yeah, there's a pain of, of losing your rival, but if you lose to your rival during the regular season and at the end of the year, you're holding the trophy, it almost sticks it to them in a worse way. Like, yeah, you beat us, but we still ended up with the trophy. So um, I'm going to say, give me give me the championship and and I'll deal with the sting of losing to my rival. So baseball's the only one I might possibly reconsider that on. If you could, if you could guarantee me 10 years of every single time you play them in a divisional <laughs> game, you win. That's incredible. <laughs> and that's yeah, in baseball, that goes a long way towards winning division titles. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Greg, I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Like I said, we've absolutely loved listening and being a part of your show. That um, It's such a big part of the Richmond media scene. Uh, we're going to miss that. We uh, hope to hear your voice lots of times in the future. And thanks again for doing this. Y'all are the best. Keep up the great work of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Thanks, Greg. Well, that's our show for this week. Special thanks to Greg Burton for joining us. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the paper. We're currently running a $3 for three-month promotion available at richmond.com. And we do appreciate your support. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. For Michael Phillips, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join us again next week. Hey.